Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied, singing glory to His name, glory to His name, glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied, singing glory to Green bed 
take a stand like those gone on before. No doubt I'll win. Christ will defend. There's no turning back until I reach that shore. I choose the Lord. I am not ashamed of the Christ who died for
Good morning. Welcome to Simple Baptist Church. Let's go ahead and take your song handouts this morning. We'll sing, stand and sing page 227, Saved by the Blood, 227. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. grateful this time that we have to come together in church this morning.
And Father, we're grateful for your goodness and your mercies. And Father, just want to pray your blessings on the uh, service this morning. Uh, Father, we just pray for those that can't be here because of illness, whether it's a cold or COVID-related illnesses, Father. So just want to pray for them as well. And Father, we pray that you get all the honor and all the glory through everything that's going to be said and done here this morning. Pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's turn and go to page number 23 in our handouts there. There is power in the blood. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the land. There is power. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church this morning here. It's good to be in church today. And uh, just a few announcements here as we look forward to some things coming up here this next week and a little longer after. But uh, tonight at 6 p.m., we'll be back here this evening for the evening service. And uh, we'll continue on the study that Pastor Mitchell's been uh, doing on, uh, not dispensations yet, but rightly dividing the Word of Truth. So uh, those will be some things that will be coming up here, uh, but rightly dividing the Word of Truth. We'll continue on those topics here tonight. Uh, this Wednesday, 7 p.m., is we do have our Wednesday night Bible study along with the Master's Club program and uh, our youth group as well. 
And then this upcoming Saturday will be regular outreach ministry there uh, at noon. We'll meet at the uh, KFC uh, parking lot there between the Verizon and the KFC. And then we'll meet there for our street ministry at noon. And then we plan on having the ladies' prayer meeting 7 p.m. here at the church in the chapel. And then at 8 p.m., the men's prayer meeting here in the auditorium. <clears throat> now, do uh, uh, think of, if you remember here, pray for the Mitchells. Is they're not quite sure. They just have a couple uh, potential things under the weather, so they're just trying to work through those things. Not sure what uh, the sickness might be, but uh, do remember them. And then also just put something on your calendar here, uh, not in the month of February, but in the month of March. Month of March, March 6th through 9th, Evangelist Tim Green will be here, so do keep that as an item of prayer. You know, again, when he comes, we'll, that'll be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday meeting that we'll have with him. And then the month of April, uh, this is really when you think about kind of the heartbeat or the pulse of Temple Baptist Church, about giving to missions and supporting missionaries where those monies go around the world. So our missions conference is uh, April 20th through 24th, and that'll be a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday meeting. And at this moment, we have four missionaries lined up. There's a couple others that are trying to potentially work through some things there. Uh, but uh, uh, do keep that in prayer as well. Because again, here's the thing. Get to the missions conference and you think about that uh, faith promise that we do here at Temple Baptist Church. And be prayerful about what the Lord would have you to give. Again, we don't harp on money around here. Uh, again, money is not specifically, hey, let me put my money in the plate and feel good. Like when you go down the street corner and you've got folks asking for money, a lot of times people will give their money to try and soothe their conscience. Oh, hey, I'm going to help that person out. God doesn't need your money specifically, but money you have been allowed to give is how God raises children. You've seen the Lord work through those things in your life. That's what really that money is given for. So as we give money to missions, it's we give those to missionaries that take the gospel around the world. So be mindful of that. Be prayerful. Uh, just off the top of my head here, we, missionary Jeff Williams, missionary to New Zealand, will be with us. Uh, we have a gentleman named Christopher Thompson to Ecuador, and then a, a man named uh, Mike Veldheist. He's missionary to the Kokopah Indians down in Yuma, Arizona. And then a missionary, Clint Burden, missionary to Indonesia. So those are the four that are currently lined up. Uh, do be praying for the Warren Hoffman family as they are trying to get things finalized to potentially, hopefully, be here for the conference as well. So do be, keep that in consideration. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on with paperwork, especially if you've been following things with international travel and uh, if you have to have specific uh, things to travel, whether it's health-wise, get your visas renewed. It's always a big process when you start getting the government involved and timing-wise as well. I think that's everything here for announcements, so let's uh, continue on, and uh, we'll sing, let's see here, our last hymn, page 153, How Firm a Foundation. How firm
may be seated. wondering why I've got a little plant here. It's what I use to help calm my nerves and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm just joking. It'll make sense in a while. Uh, please turn in your Bible with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read starting at verse number 14 this morning, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, and we'll read down to verse 17 uh, and then have a word of prayer and get started on this morning's message. Please stand as we honor the reading of the word of God this morning, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, 
lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby, want you guys to say the next word, many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let's have a word of prayer and then get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people who have come to the house of God today. Lord, I pray you bless them as they hear the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, I pray that when they leave here today, they won't leave here thinking they heard uh, the words of uh, uh, just a, a man who was originally from Australia. Lord, I pray they won't uh, leave here thinking, well, that was an interesting opinion. But Lord, I pray that they would leave here with the conviction of knowing that they heard from the words of God and that the Spirit of God spake through the preaching of your word today. I pray it will be a help to your people, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated now. May the Lord bless that reading from his word this morning. Got a lot of material to cover this morning. There's a lot of places where I've got references. Uh, and in order to get through everything, we may not go to all of those places. Or if we do, you'd better turn quickly with your fingers to get there. Um, we don't have time to read this entire chapter here this morning. But if you were to read uh, the entire uh, chapter of uh, Hebrews 12, you would see uh, in the context of this chapter... Um, that there are a few different topics being spoken about, but the timing of Hebrews chapter 12 is pertinent to uh, the timing of the end times. Uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, doctrinally as it applies, it is written by Paul, and there is very significant evidence in Scripture for that, uh, written by Paul to, not surprisingly, the Hebrews. Doctrinally, this book, it is written for the Jewish people. It is written for them in the context of the end times, uh, but there are still many practical truths that you and I can get out of this passage. Uh, and for what it's worth, I believe that you and I live in the end times. How many of you would say, I agree with that? Right. Okay, we live in the end times. And if I'm right about the context of Hebrews chapter 12, which I am, and if I'm right about the timing of where we are in history, the end times... Uh, then what I'm preaching about this morning, which is the sin of bitterness, is a very relevant and timely sermon to preach. You know, one of the characteristics of the end times, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Okay, And when the weather gets cold, one of the words that we use to describe cold weather is bitterness it's a it's bitterly cold right um now it's been cold for all of us this week right we've been down in the high teens a few times this week and it's quite cold i mean i wouldn't call high teens bitterly cold but it's noticeably cold and if you're like me if you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go running in that cold that'll get your attention okay uh you leave anything exposed and by the time you get back from a run like that it's Pretty well frozen solid. You don't want to blow your nose. It might snap off in your hands. It It's brisk out there. And one of the reasons why I believe when the Bible says the love of many shall wax cold, and we talk about cold being bitter, 
Uh, you know, the Bible talks, uh, gives advice to husbands talking in the context of marriage about their wives. It says, be not bitter against them. So you can see how this context of coldness and bitterness, um, we live in a world today where the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been before because there is a lot of bitterness in marriages today. And that's causing people's love to wax cold. This is a real big problem that we have today. And that's not specifically what I'm preaching about. But I am preaching about the root of bitterness. And if you are here this morning and you think, oh, this is good. This is good. I'm glad that Smoker is preaching about bitterness this morning because brother so-and-so really needs this. Or if you think sister, you know, sister over there, she's going to get a mouthful today, isn't she? Because she's... No. I want to set the record today. I'm not preaching for brother so-and-so and and I'm not preaching for sister over there. I'm preaching for you this morning. Uh, And if you have this attitude that someone else needs to hear this message about bitterness, it could actually be you that's in need of it here today. You know, this is not the sort of thing that if I'm preaching about this, I don't get in the pulpit and thinking there's a hundred plus people here today. I bet there's one person who needs this. No, I don't believe that this morning because the Bible says, thereby many be defiled. You even read it out loud and said it out loud yourselves, thereby many be defiled. Now, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, one of the things that the God of the Bible, Jehovah God of the Old Testament, One of the ways that he differentiated himself from the gods of the heathen, he said in Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, he says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. That's what God says. And so if you want to understand the end of the world, you need to understand the beginning of the world. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the book of Genesis. It's fascinating the similarities between the book of Revelation and the book of Genesis. Book of Revelation ends with holiness. It ends with a garden. It ends with trees that heal the nations. It ends with a river. The book of Genesis begins with three rivers. It begins with trees that could heal, but it began also with a tree of knowledge and good and evil. It began with holiness. It began with man having a relationship with God, which is exactly where Revelation 22 ends. If you want to understand the the end, you have to study the beginning. And so that's an important thing for you to consider today, because if bitterness is a trademark sin of the last days, then there is a good chance that we can learn about bitterness by looking at the beginning, the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And the character that we see here who's referenced in Hebrews 12 in association with bitterness, who is that character in Hebrews 12? It's Esau. Where do we find his story told in the Bible? Book of Genesis. See how God declares the end from the beginning. Now, I have here a little plant. Quite a nice looking little plant, don't you think? We bought this one at Lowe's last night. We go to Lowe's, not Home Depot. Okay, that was a free plug for Brother Andrew there. Uh, buy Lowe's, it keeps him in a job and keeps his wife and children fed and everything like that. But we have this here nice little plant and I got um, Teddy and Tyndale, they helped me pick this one out last night, right? 
Where are they? There, there's Tinder. He's nodding. There's Teddy. He's nodding. They helped me pick this one out. There was a whole bunch of them. It was like this little forest of these almost identical little plants. But we picked this one, not just because it was the biggest, but because it was the one that we chose and thought, this one's the most healthy looking of these little plants. It's a good looking little thing, right? It, it wobbles just the way it should wobble, I think. I'm, I'm very great in thumbs. You know, it wobbles well. Yeah, that's what I know about plants. I'm really good at it. Um, and um, after, after uh, I'm done preaching today, my wife wants to take it home and keep it because we like to have um, some green plants living in the house. But there is a problem with this plant. And the problem is this plant, you might say it, it looks healthy. How many of you understand eventually all plants die? And for those who have brown thumbs, they die quicker than other people who have the green thumbs. But this plant is going to die, and it's going to die quickly if something doesn't happen to it. And I don't just mean giving it water and fertilizer. There's something wrong here, and I'm going to tell you and explain it to you, what's wrong with this plant here, but not until the end of the message this morning. Meanwhile, you have to keep wondering and guessing. There's a very, very easy, simple thing I can do to prevent this plant from dying. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at the example. You say Esau's not in Genesis chapter 3. He's not, is he? And the person I'm about to talk to you about is not in Genesis 3 either, but he is in Genesis chapter 4. We don't take, uh, have time this morning to read all of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, if you said, if you summarized it, if you had a phrase, what would Genesis chapter 3 be the passage that tells us about? The fall of man, okay? The fall of mankind, when man went from a state of innocence and holiness and righteousness and a great relationship with God to all of a sudden knowing more than he should know about things he should never have found out and he has fallen and he has sinned. And when mankind sins, there are three emotions that the Bible records for us that take place as a result of sin. Chapter 3 and verse 10 says, He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The emotion that we see that's brought on by sin immediately is the emotion of fear. I was afraid. The Bible says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can I ask you a question this morning without getting political, without being left-wing, right-wing, without being pro-vax, anti-vax, without being Democrat, without being Republican? Have you noticed in the last two plus years that there is fear in the eyes of the average man, the likes of which you've never seen in your lifetime? God didn't give us that spirit of fear. It's a result of sin in this world. You say, well, hang on, are you saying that people get COVID are are sinners more than others? No, I'm not. But I'm saying that eventually what's down in the roots comes out in the fruits. And fear in society is a result of sin in society. 
Then in Genesis 3 verse 15, the second emotion that we see, God said to Satan, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The second emotion that we see there is enmity. And that is a word that basically just means hatred. It's synonymous with hatred. Thus, it is entirely natural and entirely normal for a woman to hate snakes. You ever notice how society sometimes likes to get a, you know, they get all these women and they put great big constrictors around their necks and the lady stand there with a snake and society acts like that's glamorous? That's not glamorous, that's freaky and creepy. Okay? Now, I'm a man, but I'm not putting any snake around my neck. And you might say, oh, you're a weenie. No, I come from a nation where eight of the world's most deadly snakes come from, and I grew up with a bitter hatred of those suckers. I don't like snakes. You say the only snakes, the only good snake is a dead snake? I, I prefer no snakes at all, even if they're dead. Um, and so there was fear first, then there is enmity, and then in Genesis 3, verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow the third emotion that's connected with sin we have fear we have enmity and we have sorrow and then God gives that same thing to the man as well unto Adam he said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life both Adam and Eve received the emotion of sorrow as a result of their sin. Can I tell you something about sin this morning? Sin will give you nothing but bad feelings and emotions. Now the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25, the Bible is an honest book and the Bible does tell us that sin can be pleasurable, but it's only for a season. The pleasures of sin never last very long and what might taste to you today as something that is sweet and enjoyable and fun, and not all sin is that way, but some sin is pleasurable. Some people get some enjoyment from some some sin, and it may seem sweet and innocent and fun today, but it inevitably ends in bitterness. Sin will leave you with nothing but bad feelings and emotions. And in Genesis chapter 4, Although the word bitterness is never used in Genesis chapter 4, I believe that Cain is going to serve as an example of the fourth human emotion that we see that comes after sin, and that is the emotion of bitterness. Now, you you notice that I said the word bitterness is not used there in Genesis chapter 4. And that's because many roots, where do they sit? below the surface where they can't be seen. Not all roots sit there. I promise you as someone that loves to run trails, not all of the roots are below the surface. (laughs) I was out running at Lake Norman State Park uh, yesterday. You can barely run three or four steps without the risk of hitting a tree root, rolling an ankle, stubbing a toe or anything like that. We affectionately say in trail running, we say, look up, fall down. Um, You keep your eyes on that trail the whole time because there are roots at the surface as well. And by the way, that's a great analogy for you to understand about how bitterness works in some people's lives. 
Some people suppress their bitterness to make it harder to be seen. They keep it pushed down, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Some people don't even care and they're quite happy for their bitterness to be seen at the surface. Regardless of whether the root is on the surface or down deep, if it's a root of bitterness, it's a root of bitterness and it needs to be dealt with. A lot of, uh, by the way, um, I want you to think about Adam and Eve. You know, the Bible calls Adam the son of God in the New Testament, right? Adam was the son of God. Eve was taken directly out of his rib. As such, Adam and Eve, not indirectly, but Adam and Eve are directly the children of God. And their first offspring, their first children, we don't know the names of their daughters, but we know that the names of their first uh, sons are Cain and Abel. Therefore, it is not stretching the truth at all to say that Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel are the family of God, right? They are the children of God. They are the family of God. There is this philosophy in the world today, quote unquote, we're all God's children. That's wrong. We are not all God's children. Until you get born again, you're in the wrong family. Jesus said about the religious people in his day, he said, ye are of your father, the devil. Okay? A person doesn't become the children of the child of God until they are adopted into God's family. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. It is a legal transaction that takes place, by the way, as someone who was personally adopted himself as a youngster and as someone who has adopted a baby himself, can I tell you there's a legal transaction that takes place uh, and that transaction is irreversible legally. In other words, when you become a child of God, you cannot lose your salvation because God has entered into a legal binding contract and you become his child forever. So... Cain and Abel, therefore, are part of the family of God. Cain and Abel are brethren. And in this way, they are a picture of the church. And can you see where I'm going with this? A lot of the bitterness in the world today isn't just taking place out there in the world, amongst the heathen, amongst the lost. That's not where a lot of the bitterness is taking place today. A lot of bitterness is within the family of God between Christian brethren. And these things ought not so to be, but they are. I want you to consider this morning who saw Cain's bitterness. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 5, it says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had, he being God, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. Stop and think about that. I'm not going to park too long on this, but a lot of Christians aren't just bitter at other Christians. There are a lot of Christians who are bitter at God. That's a reality. God let you down, so you think. God didn't meet your expectations. I got news for you this morning. God's under no obligation to meet your expectations. He's only ever under an obligation to keep his promises, and he does. But Cain got bitter with God. And a man who's bitter with God, by the way, it will spread towards people. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. 
So if I ask the question this morning, who saw Cain's bitterness? Can any of you young people answer who saw Cain's bitterness? God saw it. That's very, very important for you to understand. You see, you can have a root of bitterness and you can suppress it and you can hide it and none of us will see it. But where my eyes stop, at the top of that little bowl there, God's eyes penetrate a lot further. And the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And the Bible says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. God's looking right down inside of you and you can't fool him for a minute. God saw Cain's bitterness. You'll notice that Eve didn't call Cain aside and said, now, son, we need to talk about your bad attitude. She didn't talk to him about it, did she? Or not that it's recorded. Nor did Father Adam say, Son, it's time for you and me to go fishing. We need to have a chat. Adam didn't do that. You didn't see Abel come along and say, Hey, bro, what's been bothering you lately, man? I notice you're just not your usual self. No, it was God who confronted him about it because none of them saw it. Cain's wrath was below the surface like many roots of bitterness. Cain's wrath therefore had plausible deniability. Can I tell you something here this morning? You can walk into this church as a bitter person. You can turn around and walk out of this church as a bitter person this morning and you can deny it to me. You can deny it to yourself. You can deny it to everyone else, but you're not hiding it from God. It's one of the dangers. It's one of the great dangers of bitterness is it's so easy to have plausible deniability. And Cain's response shows that he resisted the convicting words of God. And can I tell you something about bitterness this morning? If you resist what the word of God has to say about it, if you resist what the Holy Spirit of God does in speaking to you about your bitterness, what comes next is not pretty. Because once you resist what the word of God says about your bitterness, bitter roots inevitably become bitter fruits. Verse 8 says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. You can deny the root, but you cannot hide the fruit. And the evidence, although it's not specifically said here, the evidence is that it looks like Cain tried to hide the fruit. It looks like Cain buried, uh, dug a hole and put Abel down in there and kicked the dirt back over it. But the Bible says that the voice of thy brother's blood crieth to me from the ground. You cannot hide the fruit of bitterness. Bitterness is bad. It has to be dealt with. And when it's not dealt with, it produces irreversible damage. Abel was a good man. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. He was a man of faith. He was a man of righteousness. He was a man who left a lasting legacy in his death. 
He is a man that the Bible accounts him, Jesus Christ himself accounts Abel with the prophets. Jesus said, described the Old Testament canon, the, the 39 books of the Old Testament. He said, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias. He's considered by Jesus to be the first of uh, the prophets. And imagine this morning, imagine what could have happened in Abel's life. If you think about what happened in the generations following, how the world went in a very rapid moral decline, which ended with Noah's Ark, maybe had Abel been allowed to live out his natural days, some of that wickedness may never have occurred. What I'm telling you is this, your bitterness may destroy someone else's ability to be used by God. And you might say, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to ruin that person's reputation so that no one will ever take that person seriously ever again. And I'm going to drive them into the ground because they did the wrong thing. But you destroy someone else's ability to be used by God and one day you'll stand in front of God and explain why you did it. Don't do that. Secondly, Cain received a curse from God. God removed his blessing from Cain. The Bible says that he was made a fugitive and a vagabond. And can I tell you something this morning? Your bitterness, not only will it potentially damage someone else's ability to do something for God, but it will make you ineffective and it may cost you many relationships. A fugitive and a vagabond is not exactly blessed with friends. He doesn't have a whole lot of connections on Facebook. He's a fugitive. He's a vagabond. And no doubt, I want you to consider this. Although the passage does not ever talk about this, but no doubt Adam and Eve wept many, many tears over the death of Abel. Can I tell you something this morning? If you are bitter against God, if you are bitter against some person, your bitterness is likely to affect, it is likely to hurt others that you love and cherish and had no intention of harming them. But when you become bitter, it starts to hurt everyone around you. And that's the example of Cain. Now let's turn to Genesis chapter 25 and look at the example of Esau. Let's look at verse number, chapter 25, verse 25. And the first, this is the first of the two twins, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. First of all, round of applause for Isaac, 60 years old, bearing twins. The man's a legend. Um, I'm 11 years away from that and the thought is terrifying. I, I want more when I'm 60. That's scary. Um, verse 27, and the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man working with computer systems. No, um, but he was a plain man dwelling in tents. 
And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Can I tell you something this morning? Esau would fit in well down here in North Carolina. Based on the Bible's description of him, right? He was a cunning hunter. He was a man of the field. If you transported Esau out of the past and brought him into the present, first of all, he'd probably be mighty impressed if he saw what we have nowadays with what's called a recoil-style boat. He'd say, that's pretty cool. What's that funky-looking stuff? Oh, that's Kevlar and carbon fire. Oh, wow, we made him out of wood back in my day. But then when you showed him a compound bow with all those cams and wires and you showed him how a compound bow works, he'd get mighty excited, right? This cunning hunter like, hey, we've come a long way. Let me go hunting. But then if you showed him the, the point and click interface, <laughs> first of all, you'd startle him a little bit with the noise when you pulled the trigger. But when he saw what happened, he's like, this is fantastic. This is a dream. And he'd say, what's this second amendment? Tell me more about this second amendment, right? Esau was a cunning hunter. He would love all of the hardware we've got access to nowadays. And I say that if Esau, if we transported him into the present, he's the kind of guy, he would have a gun rack sitting behind him in his turbo diesel pickup truck. Amen? That's Esau. He had a lot going for him, didn't he? He was the firstborn. He was favored by his father. And it's fair to say, based on what we know of him, that he was fairly handy with the tools on the grill. Esau could make something taste good, whether he was using gas or wood or charcoal or pellets. And if you ever showed Esau a big green egg, he would probably faint dead away. Oh, I wish they had big green eggs back in my day. (laughs) Do we have anyone here who owns a big green egg? Or a Komodo Joe or anything like that? Man, we need to get one, don't we? Want a great big fat one to have some church barbecues and stuff like that? Isaac would attest to how good that Esau was on the grill. And yet for all that Esau had going for him, he had some serious problems. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 16, the text where we started today, that Esau was a profane person who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. He did not value the blessings which God had given him and he placed temporary satisfaction as being more important than God's eternal blessings. And because he enjoyed temporary short-term satisfaction, maybe that's why Hebrews 12 lets us in on a little secret that we don't actually see here in Genesis 25 and that is that Esau was a fornicator interesting and i don't find the connection all that difficult to understand if a man can't control his flesh with a knife and fork what makes you think he can control it in any other way he had a problem there the bible says lest there be any fornicator or profane person as esau now i'm just going to tell you how it was if you want to read the passages The passages are Genesis 26, verses 34 and 35, and then Genesis 28, verses 6 through 9. So it's Genesis 26, 34, 35, then Genesis 28, 6 to 9. If you read those passages, the passage in Genesis 26, it talks about how he got married, and he married not one, but two women, 
Does anyone know the penalty for polygamy? Multiple mother-in-laws. Um, he married two women and they were Hittites. Generally speaking, were the Hittites good people or bad people? They were bad people. And so he married two bad people and the Bible says that these two bad women that he married, it said that they were a grief of mind to his parents. There was friction between the in-laws and the daughters-in-law, right? It was a grief of mind to them. Now the Bible says later on in Genesis 28, it says he saw how that when he thought, well, Mom and dad don't like my wives, but they love Jacob's wife because she's of the daughters of Abraham. And so you know what the Bible says? The Bible says Esau went out and got himself another one. Now he's got three. What a disaster. But he goes out and he says, I'm going to get someone that's of the daughters of Abraham because then mom and dad will be happy. And the Bible says he married a daughter of Abraham, but Abraham had a son that he probably wasn't ever supposed to have, whose name was Ishmael. And the one that Esau goes and marries is descended from Ishmael, and Ishmael was rejected by God. Here's what I want you to understand from this. When you get bitterness in your heart, if you never make things right between you and God, you can look at what other people are doing, You can try and imitate what other people are doing and God still won't bless it. You'll never quite get it right because you never fix the heart problem below the surface. If you get bitter, faking things by doing what your brethren are doing will never ever fix anything. And I could probably preach all day about Esau's bitterness. And by the way, just as an interesting Point of reference, uh, the very first time the word bitter is used in the Bible is in Genesis 27, verse 34. Talking about Esau, it says, When he heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. That's the first use of the word bitter. Bitter is directly connected with this man, Esau. But before we move on, I want you to understand this. Esau never truly overcame his bitterness. If you read the story of Jacob and Esau, you'll understand that later on they patched things up, but the feud between their family in generations following shows that those two patching it up was nothing more than putting a a band-aid on a gaping wound. And if you study the Old Testament and study Bible prophecy, you'll understand that a lot of what's about to happen in the world in the future in the next few short years is an extremely late harvest of bitter fruit that was sown, give or take, 3,800 years ago. What am I saying? I'm saying if you have bitterness in your heart that you don't get rid of, it might not be payday today, but it will be payday someday. I want to give you now the example. Please turn to Acts chapter 8. I'm trying to move quickly so you can get home, get to the restaurant, whatever it is that you want to do. But I hope that this message is being a help to you this morning. We're going to take one more example of bitterness. In this passage, we have 
uh, a preacher. Uh, he's considered uh, to be a, one of the seven deacons. Uh, his name is Philip. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, unto the Samaritans. Uh, in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, Philip, who was uh, a one of the first deacons, was also called Philip the Evangelist because he went everywhere evangelizing the word of God. And he goes to Samaria to preach Christ, and it's a great revival that breaks out in Samaria. It was powerful. The Bible says there were people with unclean spirits that were possessed with spirits. There were people with palsies. There were people with lame that were healed. And the Bible says in verse 8, there was great joy in that city. Revival breaks out in Samaria, which is one of the places you might say, oh, that's, a, that's not exactly a place where revival is going to break out. But Jesus had already said that you shall be witnesses unto me into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Jesus knows what he's talking about. And so there was a great revival that was taking place there through the preaching of um, Philip. And in verse 9, it says, There was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. And in verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and were baptized both men and women, then Simon himself believed also. Fantastic, right? Simon the sorcerer gets saved. He gets born again. And the Bible says, uh, and, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. This is fantastic. Okay? It's not a bad thing when a person gets saved, is it? It's a great thing when a person gets saved. And for what it's worth, he did get saved. He believed. He was baptized. He started growing. He started following Philip and being discipled under the leadership of Philip. And it's good. Right? Now, verse 17 um, Peter and John hear about this revival that's taking place in Samaria. And Peter and John come down in verse 17 to see this thing. And it says, Then laid they their hands on them, the Samaritans, and they, the Samaritans, received the Holy Ghost. Is that good? Yes. Now look at verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. If you look on the surface, this is good. He got saved. He followed the Lord in baptism. He starts following Philip to learn from him. He sees the power of the Holy Spirit and he says, I want it. Can I tell you the truth this morning? I want the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I want when my life touches things, I want things to happen as well. And if you don't want the Holy Spirit powerful in your life and influencing things so that everything that you touches turns to revival and goodness, then what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with wanting a good thing. So on the surface, it looked good. But he went about it the wrong way. You can't buy the power of God. But it wasn't just that he had a misunderstanding and thought that you could get it with money. 
because he's about to get one of the biggest rebukes that you have ever seen. Look at verse 20. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it meant that he could see things that other people couldn't see. He could see straight past. Peter basically said, this isn't a matter of money. This isn't a matter of you desiring something. This is a matter of bitterness in your heart because God is using someone in a way that he's not using you and you are bitter and you are twisted about it and this is serious business. And he said, you better pray to God that he forgives you for this. It's serious business. That's one of the sternest rebukes in the whole Bible. And I want to ask you to think about this. Why is Peter so blunt? Why is he so harsh? Why is he so stern? Why is he so abrupt in his rebuke here? Because Peter knows that the bitterness in the heart of one man had the potential to stifle revival. And souls were hanging in the balance. Can I tell you here this morning that if there is bitterness in the heart of one person here at Temple Baptist Church today, your business, your bitterness has the potential to disrupt what God is trying to do in this church, to this church, for this church, through this church, to impact Statesville, Iredell County, North Carolina, United States, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. One person can stop the work of God with a root of bitterness in their heart. And if you don't believe that, you've never read the story of Achan in the Old Testament. Peter said, we have to put a stop to this and we have to put a stop to it now. Verse 24 shows us something about bitterness. It says, then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of those things which ye have spoken come upon me. It shows that Simon knew that bitterness had short-circuited any effectiveness that he had in his own prayer life. Because Simon told him, he said, you'd better pray. And Simon said, God's not listening to my prayers because my heart isn't right. Can you pray for me? Man, that's serious. You don't ever want to get to the point where you know that God's not listening to your prayers and you've got no power in your prayer life. You say, did Peter pray for him? And did God answer his prayer? Turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then had all the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and where? Samaria. And were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied, including the church at Samaria. You say, why did... Why did Peter get so in his face about this issue of bitterness? Because like I said, there were souls hanging in the balance and a revival was on the line and one man's bitterness 
that was probably below the surface. No one else saw it, but because Peter was so full of the Holy Ghost, he saw it. And Peter said, we've got to put a stop to this or it's going to put a stop to revival. Is bitterness powerful? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. I want you to consider this morning, by the way, the chapter that we're looking at here where we started this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm trying to wrap up. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the same passage that talks to us about Esau and his root of bitterness is the same chapter in the Bible that tells us at the start of the chapter that we are supposed to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, bitterness never has justification. There is no justification for bitterness. You say, well, you don't know what this person did. No, that can be a trigger. That can be a catalyst. That can be a springboard to bitterness. But bitterness is about your decision about how you respond to what that person did to you. It's not their fault if you become bitter. It's their fault for what they did leading up to it. It's your fault for how you responded. And if we're supposed to be looking unto Jesus, consider his example. John chapter 1 verse 12, as a Jew, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Rejected. Do you realize a lot of rejected people become bitter? Jesus didn't. When he was born, King Herod tried to have him killed. He was despised. A lot of people who are despised become bitter, but Jesus didn't. He was run out of Israel And his early life was spent as a little toddler growing up in Egypt. He was an outcast. A lot of outcast people become bitter, but Jesus didn't. In John chapter 8, verse 41, the scribes and Pharisees said of Jesus, they said, we be not born of fornication. They were accused of him of being born illegitimately because of the virgin virgin birth. In other words, he was mocked. Can I tell you, a lot of mocked people become bitter, but Jesus didn't. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, did he not? And yet immediately following that betrayal, Jesus looks at Judas and called him friend. And Jesus Christ never lied. In other words, when Jesus was betrayed, he did not become bitter. He was deserted by all of the other apostles on that same night, was he not? He was abandoned. A lot of people, if they become abandoned, they become bitter. But Jesus didn't. He was not just deserted, but he was completely disassociated by Peter three times that night. Peter got to the point where he was scared of a little girl and said, I know not the man. He was denied. And a lot of people who are denied become bitter, but not Jesus. He was lied about on that night by many false witnesses who lied about him and twisted his words. He was misrepresented. And a lot of misrepresented people become bitter. But Jesus didn't. He was whipped. He was spat upon. He was buffeted. He was exposed to what our constitution and the law of our land describes as cruel and unusual punishment. He was tortured, 
but he did not become bitter. And lastly, he was crucified, but he did not become bitter. What does the Bible say about this? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." Folks, we have salvation today because the Lord Jesus Christ did not respond with bitterness. And he is the example, according to this passage, that we are to follow in his steps. Now, how can we prevent bitterness? The only way that we can prevent bitterness is by looking unto Jesus. I'll give you three things about how to prevent bitterness. First of all, forgive people who do the wrong thing by you long before and even if they never ask for forgiveness. When Jesus was on the cross, we know what he said in Luke chapter 23 verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There wasn't a single person there present that asked him for forgiveness except for one of the other men on the cross. But he's talking about all of the others. He's talking about all of the rulers. He's talking about the scribes, the Pharisees, the mockers. He's talking about the Roman soldiers who put the nails into his hands. And he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you want to prevent bitterness, you'd better have a heart that forgives regardless of whether people deserve to be forgiven. Secondly, you'd better be willing to let God be the judge. Someone does the wrong thing by you, you need to remember that the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not your place to retaliate out of a bitter heart. And thirdly, you need to commit yourself to God. You'll notice here in 1 Peter chapter 2 what it says about Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that he committed them to God. It says he committed himself to him that judges righteously. You see, your bitterness isn't about them. Your bitterness is about you. When everything in your heart wants to turn bitter, you'd better commit yourself to God. Now, that's how to prevent bitterness. But what do we do for someone who already has bitterness? How can you overcome existing bitterness? Well, firstly, you need to stop deceiving yourself. You stop, need to stop deceiving yourself. You might be fooling other people, but you're not fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. The passage in Hebrews chapter 12, which talks about the root of bitterness, is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 29. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, it tells us something very interesting. And I really am finishing here. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 18, 
It says, it came to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself. Oh, I've missed verse 18. Sorry, that's the important one. Lest there be among you man or woman or family or tribe. Notice how it can spread. Man or woman, family, bitterness spreads or tribe. Whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there be, should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace. Watch this. Though I walk in the imagination of my heart. He's got bitterness and a root that bears gall and wormwood. And yet in the imagination of his heart, he says, I shall have peace. You know what that is? That is self-deception about your bitterness. And if you have bitterness this morning, if there's one thing you need to do, you need to stop fooling yourself about it. Because you know what comes next? Verse 20 in Deuteronomy says, The Lord will not spare him. The Lord will not spare him. And it goes on and says that all the curses in that book are going to come upon you because of that bitterness in your heart. It will kill your spiritual life. In Exodus chapter 15, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it, but the Bible says that shortly after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt and they were heading towards the promised land, they went three days in the wilderness and they ran out of water and they came to a place called Mara and the Bible says when it was called Mara because when they got there they found all this water and the water was bitter and no one knew what to do and Moses went and spoke to God about it and God said you're going to have to get a tree and you're going to have to get this tree and take it to the water and when you get that tree in the water then the water will be healed and become sweet And I believe that tree represents the cross of Calvary. And when you have bitterness in your heart, you're going to have to get to Calvary because it is the place of forgiveness. It is the place where Jesus overcame bitterness and he tasted death for every man. And you'd better not get the water to Calvary, but you better get Calvary to the water if the bitterness in your heart is going to be healed. And then thirdly, I want to tell you, you're going to need to be willing to dig up some dirt on yourself. I said at the outset this morning, there's something wrong with this plant, even though it was the healthiest one in the store. And I said, it's going to die very soon if something doesn't happen. Did I say that? How many of you kids are wondering what's wrong with this plant? What's going to kill this plant? You want to know what you kids all want to know what's wrong with this plant? It's not very complicated, but I have to dig around a little bit in the dirt here. Anyone know what that is? It's, it's not a nickel. It's not a dime. If I, yeah, can you see what? See what this is? Tell them, what, tell them all what this is. It's not a magnet. Try it, guess again. You're on the right track. It's, a coin. it's not a coin. Who wants to have a guess? You do. Do you? Do you already have a guess? A battery. It's a battery. Battery doesn't belong in there, does it? You don't put batteries in plants to fertilize them. You know what's inside this battery? Lithium and manganese dioxide. Lithium and manganese dioxide are both deadly poisonous to plants. 
And if that battery stayed in that plant, it won't be very long at all. Now, right now, it's fine. The battery's new, it's fresh. I just put it in there this morning. My wife's little plant should live on fine. But if I didn't dig that out, eventually there's going to be acid spewing out of this little battery, right? And it's going to kill that thing very, very quickly. It was below the surface. It was going to sit there. It was going to fester. It was going to crackle. It was going to bubble. It was going to burst open and kill this beautiful, innocent little plant. But I had to dig around a little bit to get it out. The Bible says in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 5, there was a time when the nation of Israel had so much sin, they had allowed the temple of God, that beautiful place it was supposed to be. In one place in the Bible, the temple was said to be exceeding magnificent. Top of the line, that temple. But they'd allow it to become run down. They'd allow it to become dirty. And Hezekiah said that we need to carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. And it needed to be done right away. You know, the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. And if there is filthiness of bitterness in your heart this morning, I tell you, it needs to be dealt with today. We're going to have a time of invitation in a minute. It is your opportunity to respond. It's your opportunity to deal with this bitterness in your heart. Can I tell you something about that? I believe the best thing you could do is come to the altar and you don't have to tell everyone what the issue of bitterness is, but it really doesn't hurt for you to be open and honest enough about it because the temptation is to stay there, sit there and still live in plausible deniability. You may as well have a battery in your heart. That bitterness is coming out if you don't get it out. When Hezekiah said, carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. You know how the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22? The Bible ends in Revelation 22 that there comes a time when it's too late to change. And you know what it says? Hezekiah said, get the filthiness out of the holy place. And Revelation 22 says, him that is filthy, let him be filthy still. There comes a time when the time for change is gone. Let's have a word of prayer and then I'm going to ask Mrs. McMeans to come and play piano just quietly for a minute. If you need to come and pray this morning, please do. It's not too late today. I believe that God wants to heal some people this morning of the bitterness that's in their heart. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the word of God. It's going to hurt the work of God. It's going to hurt people that you aren't even bitter against. Just like Cain killing Esau hurt his mother and father. It's going to do damage here this morning if you want to do something about it today. Let's keep our eyes closed during this time of prayer. Please come and pray. If you need to come and pray, please do. Be serious. Bitterness will ruin you. It'll destroy the work of God. It doesn't follow the example of Jesus. Maybe your prayer today should simply be, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe this morning you should say, God, I've been trying to execute vengeance. I've been trying to get revenge. Maybe you should just leave it in the Lord's hands and say, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Maybe you just need to commit yourself this morning to Him 
that judgeth righteously. Whatever it is you need to do, you'd better do it. Because that root of bitterness eventually always comes out with bitter fruits. Starts with bitter roots, but it'll end in your life with bitter, bitter fruits. That, that hymn, by the way, that Mrs. McMeans is playing right now is called, I Need Thee, Oh, I Need Thee. And if you've got any bitterness in your heart this morning, you need God to root that thing out for you. He can heal you, and you need it to be healed. Let's close in a word of prayer and then be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word of God today. Lord, I know it's not an easy sermon for me to have preached, and it's not an easy message for the people to have heard. But Lord, if we are ever going to be what you want us to be, we can't be that with a heart of bitterness. And we can't be that with self-deception in our lives. Lord God, help the people today to leave this morning with your blessing. Lord, I pray they'll continue to think seriously about these things. Lord, if they've got halfway towards victory today but not fully there, Lord, I pray that they would leave and get the victory today before it's too late, before that root of bitterness springs up and defiles them. We ask for you to dismiss your people with your blessing, but Lord, I just want to thank you publicly for the fact that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was treated so badly by all around him, never once reacted with a heart of bitterness. Thank you for it, Lord. We ask you to dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. One announcement for you just as you head out the door and the race to the restaurant begins. Um, there is no kids' choir this evening. Uh, and so, but to, please do be here in time for the 6 p.m. service this evening because to the best of my knowledge, I'm not preaching, which means the message probably won't be as long. You're on your way.